kidding me? You're really gonna turn Fox News on in front of me? Oh, yeah, I'm gonna change this right now. Where'd you get that? What did you just do? I was watching Tucker Carlson. Yeah, I, I know, and I'm trying to watch Chris Como, some actual news, I'm like a fake Dude, news. Are you trying to watch. Me? I, I'm serious. I, I had this because I knew that would happen. Who is Chris Como? Are you really gonna say that right now? Who's Tucker Carlson? This right-wing propagandist? In fact, oh, hey, wow. just stop touching my dog. You do? I don't want my are dog you even. Stop! Please stop! I, I can't. This is this is ridiculous. Stop! Stop arguing! No, I, I just. I'm stop gonna touching put my dog. you both on timeout. Huh? Yes. What kind of timeout? Well, Rishi, you're gonna watch Fox News for two hours, and Rick, you're gonna watch CNN for two hours. No. No way. Oh no. Beat later. Two point oh yeah. So this uh, this is coming at you with a fresh game review. And I rate this a uh, two point four out of out of three. Um it's just really good graphics. It's a lot of fun. Uh and you know, the one thing is that the ad free version is uh nine ninety nine. And I don't know about you, but I'm not about to drop 10 bucks on an iOS game. That being said, and do not let this be understated, that there's nothing like playing some Beat Blade at 4 in the morning. Your mom's just begging and screaming that you get off Beat Blade and get a job. But all you want to do is lay in bed in your underwear playing Beat Blade. You can hear it. Listen to it. That's that's just fun. She's not watching this right now. That means she had to have gone through episodes one, two, and three. <laughs> All right. What's up, YouTube? Oh, you finally did it. I finally did it. I remember that. I remember that phase. Is it too late? I, I, I think it's too late uh, for me. Just I like was, I was going to join the primaries. Under which party? That's a good question. Okay. I think it's too late. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. What what parties are there? There's the um there's the Democrats, the Republicans, <laughs> Green Party, your mom's party, Tea Party, Grand Old Party. Take your pick. Oh, your mom's party sounds pretty good. <laughs> Today we're gonna talk about first off, gerrymandering. Gerrymandering. And gerrymandering has been prevalent in American politics. For a very, very long time. Mm. And so you've hopefully listened to us in the past couple of episodes. If not, definitely recommend checking it out. But hopefully you're learning and you're growing with us. And gerrymandering is, you know, it's just another way that American politics uh, plays. Mm. Well said, my friend. I will add to that and say that gerrymandering is not good we'll just we'll just put that out there this isn't even like a political stance left right center i've done my research and you at home should too and it's just it's it's just another way that democracy is undermined in this country so why don't we talk about what it is exactly so it it started out as this guy william jerry something like that i feel like everyone was named william back in the day something like that William mm -hmm. Jerry, circa 1840-something, is out there trying to figure out a way to um, 
make a map for the districts uh, for congressional voting. And he thinks, hmm, maybe if I draw these districts in a weird way and put all the people who are going to vote one way uh, in, in one of these districts and everyone else in the other, maybe I can manipulate this election. I'm imagining it went something like that. And to this day, gerrymandering is one of the most powerful tools used by political map makers to influence elections. Yeah, if someone asked me to create these districts, I'd probably just draw the district lines by geography. Mm, that would make sense. Well, I guess we should talk about what districts are in the first place, just to clarify that and why they're important. Yeah, sure. Um, so you have wards, precincts, counties, mm. and districts. Yeah. And these are terms that get thrown a lot, um, thrown around a lot yeah. in American politics. Yeah, but no one really knows what any of this means. Well, I guess, I guess those in the know do, but I'd say like my friends, the average kid probably doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I personally had no idea what they were until pretty recently. Pretty recently, as in the prep for this episode. Yep, me too. Pretty much. Me too. They're right there with you. Um, uh, so, okay. So the good thing is, is that you don't, really like the first three terms ward precinct and county they're they're important but when we're talking about gerrymandering the one that's most crucial is districts mm -hmm. the other ones we can kind of disregard for the moment mm -hmm. um so looking at a district a district is kind of just a a grouping of individuals um that uh vote or that are represented in Congress. Um, in Congress. Right. Yeah. So, but, I mean, I guess the idea is that when the founding fathers came up with this whole thing of proportional representation, as mm -hmm. in, we want to make a Congress where each member was elected by, by people in different parts of a state, you have to come up a, with a way to uh, organize those people in the state. And that's essentially what a congressional district is. Uh, so, if you imagine, just imagine any state you can divide it into a bunch of different ways. And that's what districts are. You know, you hear about how uh, each state gets 100 senators, or I'm sorry, each state gets two senators, 100 total, and then a certain amount of representatives. Those representatives are based on the, the population of the state. So the job of these map makers who make districts is to decide which people are going to be represented by, you know, district one. And they can make this map in essentially whatever way they choose to. And you were saying in the beginning, like, it makes the most sense to divide it up geographically, you know, like approximately equal districts that kind of make sense, maybe like even squares or something like that. That's not how we do it. Um, I guess you want to say more on that? Yeah, I mean, the way that we actually do do it is we most of the times have these very, very strange uh, shapes that yeah. very creative people come up with yeah. in order to influence elections in one direction or the other. Mm. And um, the, the way that this is done is by anticipating what, peop what direction certain people will vote in and then drawing the district lines accordingly to group people into these districts that then kind of waste a lot of votes. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can explain more about how these votes get wasted. Sure. And and just to talk about the like the magnitude of the effect that um, 
redistricting and gerrymandering has uh, historically really it's started to become much more important uh, in more recent in more recent years and so what basically happened is that 10 years ago the the GOP um, hired a bunch of strategists to decide how are they going to how are they going to I guess change the electoral system in order to uh, benefit themselves uh, in the whole election process because as we've discussed there's all sorts of ways to manipulate elections if you want to and so they hired really good map makers in this uh, project actually called operation uh, red map the redistricting majority project and their idea is that they would take political power back through uh, in the state legislature after the 2010 census because the country's demographics are changing. Uh, and one of the realities is that the Republican Party, as the country w started to change um, with the demographics, uh, you know, increase of Latino voters, uh, increased African-American electorate, stuff like that, um, the Republican Party needed more ways to, to gain power. So that was the whole premise behind the 2010 uh, Operation Red Map. And I guess I'll get into an example they would hire people to look at trends in how a certain state would vote in the past. You know, like, look at, let's take North Carolina, for example. This was a great example of a state that, uh, whose election was severely influenced by gerrymandering. Um, the mapmakers would look and see, how did people in different cities and parts of the state vote in the past? And based on how they voted, we're going to group them into uh, a specific district. For example, it's well known that urban areas vote predominantly blue and rural areas vote predominantly red. So something a mapmaker can do is say there's three cities kind of like uh, sporadically centered around a state. Mm -hmm. They can make a really strange district that somehow incorporates all three cities. Now, these things look like really weird, like irregular, like tentacle looking things. You guys like should probably at home look up gerrymandering district and you'll see how strange these shapes are. But they consolidate votes into really strange specific shapes in, in the districts. If you look at the way that North Carolina has been affected, look at the 2018 election results uh, for the congressional seats. And so as a state, it was like 50% Democrat, around 50% Republican, pretty split. They had 13 seats total. And so you would think maybe like six blue, seven red, seven blue, six red, something like that. Something that shows about even representation. But because of gerrymandering, it was just three blue and 10 red. So effectively, it, it silences votes. Um, it, it's like a, and it undermines the democratic principles that people ascribe to when they do something like vote. Gerrymandering just really, really messes things up. And uh, it's it was founded or by who was it? Well, I already talked about the the William Jerry or whatever, but that's oh, kind yeah. of old history. Yeah. Um. Are you thinking? You're thinking of Hoffler. So oh, he yeah. was he was the the guy who was kind of beca became famous for mm -hmm. his maps. He was the uh, the Republican Party hired this guy to uh, to redistrict and stuff, and so. If you look at a, any recent district map that's been done in the past 10, 20 years, uh, a lot of them are done by one person, which is 
pretty crazy. Yeah, one of the famous quotes by Hoffeller is the fact that he said that he defines redistricting as one of the only legalized forms of vote stealing left in the U.S. Mm. That's a pretty that's a pretty big claim to make. Mm. Um, so there's like I think like two major ways that gerrymandering happens, mm-hmm. and so the first one is called packing, mm-hmm. and what that essentially means is you're trying to pack as many Democratic voters as you can mm. into one district, therefore kind of wasting that Democratic representation because, say, if those uh, Democrat votes were spread out over several different districts, they would have much more representation right. in those right. other districts. Exactly. Much more potential to be represented. Exactly, yeah. And I guess the, the second one is... Um along like different lines cracking it's it's doing the opposite rather than consolidating all of the the votes into one district uh it's it's spreading the votes so thinly that they don't end up really mattering so an example would be that you make your district such that uh each you spread out the democratic um voters in such a way that each district is just slightly more republican maybe like 51 49 something like that and when you think about it, it's actually a really uh, skillful and difficult thing to do. You have to be sure that um, this district will vote, you know, X percent for this party or that party. So uh, a lot of time and energy and effort goes into these types of initiatives. And um, I guess, I mean, those are the two ways that it's done. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, gerrymandering. You know, we've been talking a lot about how the Republicans use gerrymandering, um, but it can be Definitely used on both sides. by any party yeah. um, to benefit them. Um, so uh, I know that like in Maryland and Illinois, those are great examples of states where uh, democratic gerrymandering is a lot more common. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is that it was um, a, a policy that was born... Uh, from the Republican Party's desire to uh, consolidate power, this, you know, in the in, in the twenty tens and, and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and um, another basis upon which gerrymandering can occur is on racial grounds. Mm. They use people's racial profiles to try to anticipate which direction they'll mm-hmm. vote in, and by doing so, they in the past would draw the lines on these bases, but I don't think that's as common anymore because of newer guidelines. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, quite literally, uh, map makers would look at the demographics of a state and see, okay, like, here's where most of the white people live, here's where most of the black people live. Uh, we know how they're gonna vote, so let's make districts based on that. Uh, and that was ruled unconstitutional in a court. And I think the guidelines people use more now are how did people vote in the past? Uh, And they'll make future districts based on that, Um, which in a way like is still pretty intimately tied to race. So it's it's really hard to uh, for these things not to be connected. Mm -hmm. And uh, alongside, you know, uh, racial gerrymandering, another thing that's uh, super racially biased is a practice called redlining Mm -hmm. and what essentially what redlining essentially is is it's the practice of when government agencies 
draw district or I don't, I don't think is it district or mm -hmm. it's it's just a section of uh a an area mm -hmm. it's a section of an area that they outline and they deem it as not very good for investment mm -hmm. and so when banks and other institutions get this information they are much less likely to give out loans and whatnot to mm. these areas that have been deemed as not as favorable for investment. Mm -hmm. And normally the kinds of people that you see living in these red line areas are obviously more impoverished. Right. And so this can, you know, have a huge effect on people who don't have the uh, ability to live uh, in more uh wealthy neighborhoods yeah. where they have access yeah. to more uh opportunity and they're kind of stuck in this cyclical nature of oppression right right and and i guess there's really no dancing around the fact that redlining is one of the most tragic examples of how um black people have been systematically uh, put down at least in in economic terms in this country um, pretty pretty well documented it's it's not really a controversial thing uh, but like you were saying um, it, it was it was done initially at least on pretty clear racial lines uh, government agencies would look at the the maps of towns and would realize the types of people living in different places and would literally, make a judgment on the, the the valuation of a property or something like that or an area based on who's living there. And so the effects of redlining are felt to this day. I guess we can talk about um, the way that generational wealth is transferred as an example. So if you think about um, an average white well-to-do person, they probably have a good amount of generational wealth and that's because their parents did and that's because their parents' parents did. And the way, the easiest way to accumulate net worth in, in this country is purchasing a home and getting educated. Because when you purchase a home, that's assets right there. It's more than just the value of the mon monetary value of the home, but all the uh, experiences and anything you get with it, cars, stuff like that. Then when you get educated, you can earn even more money. You can um, make sure that you have a future for your children and uh, instill good values like that. So redlining made it much harder for black people in this country to do either of those things. Because like you said, if you lived in a redlined district, you weren't as likely to get um, a bank loan to buy a house or a car and stuff like that. So it made it much harder for certain people to break this cycle of poverty and actually continue uh, really, really negative cycles that encouraged not good behaviors, that created this idea of, of being stuck and when you look at a lot of cultural problems that uh, arise in certain in community certain communities and neighborhoods, such as single parenthood, um, high uh, rates of violence, drugs, stuff like that, they're really connected to the fact that redlining made it almost impossible to to make different decisions. So, when all these systemic forms of oppression exist that suppress um, our voice, how do we kind of, how do we make sense of it in the, in, in the sense that 
it's it's mostly just a blockage to us how do we overcome this this uh, like yeah i know i know what you I, I think i know what you're trying to ask and yeah um i think it's a really good question because everyone knows that inequality exists and um there's a lot of rhetoric about how to curb inequality how to have a more uh, equitable society but in terms of the actual solutions and how like me as an individual can help the i mean people don't talk about that as much because it's much harder it's one thing to vocalize yourself as you know i'll be an ally to anyone who has received unequal treatment or i will change my own views and xyz so many good personal things you can do but the question you're asking is how can you how can you even begin to try to undo these um, very systemic problems and one thing you can do uh, or at least the very simplest thing the least you can do is make your voice heard speak out against these policies educate your friends and family about them uh, and look into the voting records of your congress people uh, currently or in the past look at how they voted and this takes time and effort but a lot of congress people who will advocate for their people go on tvs like make promises and claims will if you look at their voting record they they might have supported redlining policies or, or other policies like that so at the very least you can educate yourself and hold your uh, representatives accountable for more equitable policy of course yeah that's such a wonderful way to kind of fight against this uh sis these systems that can kind of bring us down um but uh also the like the u.s as a, as a grand country is often categorized as a melting pot. Mm. And when we look at the U.S. population by race, class, and religion, the U.S. has such diverse representation amongst its citizens. We have people of so many different races, um, of course, different classes, yeah. and lots of different religions. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons also that representation becomes so difficult because you're looking at such a diverse population but trying to have one entity kind of govern or represent this largely diverse group mm -hmm. who, who have largely diverse interests. And so, you know, the United States is one of the only countries who have managed to like be able to kind of do this in such a wonderful, magnificent way. Yeah. Um, but also we have to ask the question, how does race, class and religion affect one's ability to represent or not represent mm. someone of a certain mm. race, class, and religion. Yeah. No, I think that's an excellent point. And um, it's kind of a given. I, I think we assume that, uh, uh, that that representing one's own race always means that you're going to uplift more voices, which I, I personally think is true. Uh, having more diversity and representation in Congress and in um, other political positions I, th I think that's a good thing because naturally, if you are representing a certain a certain race or ethnicity or whatever, uh, you're going to be able to empathize with those struggles more. So that's a given. But there's this other thing that um, 
as voters, we should be aware of. And it's the way that race is heavily, heavily politicized. Uh, it, like I said, it's definitely true that people of certain races will probably be more empathetic to the struggles of that race or class or whatever. But uh, there's plenty of examples of how, um, you know, existing stereotypes and existing systemic problems are not solved even if representation is achieved. And uh, here's one I can think of right now. Um, so in, in a campaign speech in 2008, uh, you got Barack Obama, um, obviously our first uh, president of color, uh, was out there campaigning. And in his speech, I distinctly remember him saying, uh, folks, we got we to gotta fix these problems. We got to make sure our black fathers are around and not abandoning their kids. And at the surface level, I mean, yeah, that's true. I think that's an important thing to address. Um, but what, as a campaign strategy, that type of messaging, that type of signaling uh, is effectively going out to white voters. That's a, a stereotype that white voters would get behind and want to hear and, and think, well, yeah, like black fathers do need to stop abandoning their children. Even people in the black community, everyone would agree with that. But what it what Obama didn't do is continue to address all of the systemic problems that created this issue of black uh, fatherlessness in the first place. That's where those issues are. And uh, I mean, I was talking about redlining, for example. Politicians aren't talking enough about those very systemic things that uh, they and their predecessors created. And when the focus is simply on, can I get a black man in office? Can I get a Latino man in office or woman or whatever you want to call it? Uh, I think we're losing sight of the, the deeper ways that we can solve problems in the country. Yeah, you know, these are some questions and some thoughts that really require some deep thinking and analysis. And one of the things I can say for sure is that one of the unique things about the U.S. is how there are term limits of the four years and then up for re-election, eight years, and then after eight years, you're going to have a new president. And this continual swapping of power is such a strong thing in, in ensuring our liberty, but it also contributes to the fact that we have different leaders come in and implement different policies who have different agendas. And so this kind of compounding effect like president after president or senator after senator leader after leader it it definitely it adds up over the years and it has a very profound effect on the level of progress that the country is able to make and oftentimes it can definitely help preserve liberty but it can also uh, also help in curtailing progress. Mm -hmm. And so it's, uh, you brought up some very interesting points there that definitely, I think this is a good place to wrap up and leave you guys, the audience with these thoughts to think about and, uh, yeah. And just give it, give it some more thought on your own yeah. and come to your own conclusions. Yeah. Think beyond the box, be a good citizen. And, um, Look past the issues that um, 
everyone is saying should be important just because they are. Look at what's actually important and um, then we'll have a much more uh, sound democracy. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thanks as always. And uh, we hope to have you back for the next one. Thank you.